0: What's going on, Warriors? And welcome to another week's episode of the Weekly Warrior Podcast. Today, I sit down with my mustachioed compadre, Mr. Jared Bradford, and we discuss someone who's really important to our warrior hearts, Mr. Teddy Roosevelt. I had the opportunity to dive into a book written by the man himself, and we go into detail about some of the awesome things in that book. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Weekly Warrior Podcast.
1: All right, welcome to the Weekly Warrior. Hi, this is a weekly podcast where we discuss all things warrior and outdoors, nature. <laughs> we discuss whatever we want, whatever we on want, a weekly on a weekly basis. <laughs> <laughs> There's no rhyme or reason. All right. What are we talking about today?
0: Dude, we have a super exciting episode for today. Um, Been working on this one for a while. Uh, I, as many people who are listening know, I spent some time in Detroit a few weeks. Man, this was actually like two months ago. ago. Yeah, this this was like two months ago. It really has. Yeah, this was like two months ago. Um, I went to a really awesome bookstore in... Um, Detroit, called the John King Bookstore, Mm -hmm. and I was on a mission to find some Teddy Roosevelt literature. Um, He wrote a lot of books himself. There's also been, you know, countless biographies, autobiography, no, biographies written about him. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wanted something written by him, and I just happened to, I was in... The Teddy Roosevelt biography section. or There's a whole
1: section on it.
0: Yeah, there was a bunch of different books. But in that section, there was these two matching leather-bound books that he wrote. Um, and they weren't supposed to be in there. They were supposed to be in, like, the naturalist category. Hmm. But I found them. Um, they were both published in 1924. And the first one is called The Outdoor Pastimes of an American Hunter. Um, And he wrote this book in 1905. Um, So he was the president at that point because he was president from, I think, 1901 to 1908. 1909. um, 1909. And so he was mid-presidency when he wrote this book. Um, The book was published and this particular copy was published in 1924. um, And... Um, it's this beautiful, like dark leather book it's embossed. Mm. Um, it's got, it's a it um, smell like, it smells, I'm taking a big whiff right now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It smells like, hm. it smells like age. It smells like, yeah, like distinction. It smells oh. like an old book kind of oh. like it's comforting, but also kind of, it can be like I don't know. Some people don't like that smell, but familiar um,
1: yet mysterious,
0: right? And it's got a big ram. It's gold. This is the only real color on it. Um, it's a big gold ram on the front, and under that, in brown embossed leathering, it says Roosevelt. Wow. Um, in all the corners of the book, it says T.R. Um, and it's yeah. I mean, it's in really good shape, um, especially for how old it is. Uh, what at this point? It's, dude. It's almost a hundred years old.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say he is is the year. I think I believe this is the one hundredth year anniversary of his death. Oh really? Oh yeah, yeah.
0: yeah that I think you're right.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this is. But hey, the getting the, close.
0: the book itself is almost a hundred years old. Yep the the stories that he wrote. I mean, he wrote it in 1905, so. It's, you know, 114 years old. The stories are, um, which is insane, but yeah. So I've spent the last two months like reading it and really like diving into it and not rushing it. Cause I wanted to take my time with it. So, um, that's a little bit of the, and there's pictures in there too, which is cool.
1: Cool. Pictures. Um,
0: yeah, there's like pictures of him, um, like doing manly shit and there's pictures of him with hmm. like some, some of his trophies and. Um, yeah, it's pretty, it's a pretty awesome, like sensory experience.
1: It's, uh, Teddy Roosevelt is in a sense, very similar to our podcast in the fact that he did whatever the fuck he wanted.
0: Yeah. He was super varied. He was, he was an expert
1: in a lot of things, but he also, I mean, he had so many interests. Mm -hmm. It was, it's crazy. He was such an interesting person. He was. Yeah. It's been great. I've been really looking forward to this one as well. Uh, so how's about we get into it?
0: Yeah, let's get into it.
1: Okay, so I'm going to do a broad uh, stroke history on Mr. Roosevelt. And uh, then we're going to go into the book that you read and some cool stories. Yeah, sounds great. So uh, October 27th, 1858, Theodore Roosevelt, also known as Teddy Roosevelt, or TR, as you said, uh, was born in New York, New York, to his father, Theodore Roosevelt, Sr., and mother, Martha Bullock of Georgia. Uh, He was born into a socially prominent family as his father was a popular and successful businessman and philanthropist. And the Roosevelts have been a popular name in politics for over 100 years. Yeah. Uh, Teddy was educated privately at home. He was always noted as having an intense intellectual curiosity, but was a step behind physically due to an ailing asthma problem that would really trouble him throughout his boyhood. Uh, So his inability to keep up with other kids was a huge driving factor into Teddy exploring his what we would call today physical fitness. Uh, So he was challenged in his early teens to become more active. And so he called on his father to build him a gym at home, which was completely unheard of because this is the 1800s and physical fitness and gyms were, were not popular at all. So in his gym and through his college years at Harvard, Teddy would. Uh, I found this super interesting when I heard it. Teddy would jump rope and then perform pull-ups and use medicine balls. He'd run and he'd jump at high intensity and <laughs> until physical exhaustion. So, I mean, this, Teddy was an original, an OG CrossFitter. Pretty yeah. Much.
0: Dave Castro and, uh, uh, I can't even remember the old guys. What I don't understand what the old woman is saying. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't remember what the other guy is, but yeah, he the was the grand, the grand
1: wizard of CrossFit. Yeah. Greg, the Grand Greg, wizard. Greg, oh, that's not a terrible, uh, Greg Glassman. Yeah. Greg
0: Glassman. Yeah.
1: TR was before all both those guys it seriously was. So eventually, uh, Teddy's asthma subside, subsided as he grew up into young adulthood. And as he increasingly became more active, this is important because he attributed being challenged physically, emotionally, intellectually, to equaling triumph and growth. So, being challenged, he found through physical fitness, cured his asthma in his mind. And that was a triumph and it, pr- it showed growth. So, that was a value that he would carry with him for the remainder of his days. That being challenged is a good thing. That's very important to know about him. Mm-hmm. Um, he graduated Harvard and he was elected to New York State Assembly at just age 23. He made a name for himself for taking on corrupt machine politics. Uh, In 1880, Teddy married Alice Hathaway Lee, and they had one child together, also named Alice. This is where it gets heavy. His wife, Alice, died hours after childbirth, and his mother, ailing from sickness, passed away in the same day. So he lost his wife Mm -hmm. and he lost his mother. Uh, This left Teddy shocked and heartbroken. Uh, He kept a regular journal throughout his life, writing down nearly everything that happened in his day, what he did, the results of his workouts, his hopes, his dreams and stories on the day that Alice died. All that was written was the light in my life is gone. Mm. So a troubling time for Teddy. So Teddy left baby Alice to live with her aunt. And he went out West to the Dakota badlands to hunt, hike and travel and and, uh, herd his cattle and a ranch that he owned out there. And this is where he became increasingly involved with the natural conservation efforts. He couldn't bear uh, his wife's death and in many ways, this trip out West for a number of years was his own personal way of healing as a young man, which basically what this was, was a distraction and a challenge. Uh, he did not have the closest and most positive relationship with baby Alice as she grew up. And this event was a major source of pain and challenge for Teddy. But in 1886, Teddy remarried to Edith Kermit Caro or Caro. I'm not sure how to say it. And they had five children, all of whom. He helped directly raise. Great, yeah. Baby Alice I actually learned kind of grew up to be a scandalous, crazy uh, girl lady. So throughout like the his time in the White House, she was like she was like the Kim Kardashian of the early 1900s. Like she would drive her car super far, fast up and down the right outside the White House. She would travel everywhere. She married. And got around a lot. And yeah, she was, (laughs) she was a scandalous little, little lady. So uh, anyway, along the same time, Teddy became uh, president of the New York city board of police commissioners, where he continued to make a name for taking on corrupt politicians. He was eventually appointed assistant secretary of the Navy by president William McKinley. Mm -hmm. He championed a bigger Navy and agitated for war with Spain and this is where it gets uh, his badass days kind of really get going. Uh, when war was declared in 1898, he organized the First Volunteer Cavalry, also known as the Rough Riders. These guys were sent to Cuba. Roosevelt was uh, a brave and well-publicized military leader. The charge of the Rough Riders up Kettle Hill on foot during the Battle of Santiago, Made him the biggest national hero to come out of the Spanish American War, so he was insanely popular around the turn of the of the century. Yeah. Um. So Roosevelt went on to become governor of New York. Was elected in eighteen ninety eight. He shook uh whoo in eighteen ninety eight. Yep. He shook shit up. <laughs> he <laughs> shook. He, he shook shit up. He did. Uh, he removed corrupt leaders from office. Uh, he was an energetic reformer. His actions pissed off other leaders so much that they conspired to get rid of him as governor by drafting him to become the vice president of the United States of America. And they were assuming the role would be pretty much ceremonial. Right. Well, jokes on them, because in <laughs> or 1900, William McKinley was elected president, which made Teddy VP. And one year later, William McKinley was assassinated, thus making Teddy President of the United States of America, he no. was the youngest person to ever be sworn in at just age 43.
0: which wow, I actually did. didn't know he was that
1: young at the time. He was a, yeah, he was very young. So he transformed the public image of the office at once and this is where it gets kind of cool. Uh, he renamed the, the executive mansion is what they referred to it to the White House. So he coined the name the White House. And he hmm. threw open its doors to entertain cowboys, prize fighters, explorers, writers, and artists. It's the most Teddy Roosevelt thing I've ever heard. I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> sounds sounds about right. Um, so this is just a little side note I thought was cool. I wanted to add it in. His refusal to shoot a bear cub on a 1902 hunting trip inspired a toy maker to name a stuffed bear after him. And thus, Teddy Bear became a fad. Uh, still, is. It still, is. Yeah, it still is still is. Yeah, uh, still is still is above all Roosevelt used. Uh, sorry, above all, Roosevelt relished the power of the office and viewed the presidency as an outlet for his unbounded energy. He once wrote, I have used every ounce of power there was in office. I do not believe that any president has had as thoroughly good a time as I have had <laughs> or has ever enjoyed himself as much. <laughs> Dude, that's so true. I know he, he... and a
0: lot of what I read actually with you saying that yeah. it makes a lot more sense,
1: really oh yeah, it seemed
0: just like all always... yeah go ahead, he would take these hunting trips, and a lot of them he had like i mean he had any resource you wanted mm-hmm. to like he had trackers he had cooks he had i mean like you name it, um or he had very min- like he had whatever he wanted, yeah, so oh yeah,
1: absolutely, I can totally imagine him like having a blast, yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, his staple in office was, of course, his fight for the protection of our natural resources. He even passed legis- legislation to establish the Forest Service in 1905. So his actions set aside over 194 million acres to be held as off-limits to mining, deforestation, etc. cetera.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so that was, like, quadrupled the amount of acreage any of his pre- president. Predecessors put aside. Uh, he, yeah, try to say that fast. Um, some historians see this as a negative precedence because Roosevelt bypassed Congress to pass national legislation and heavily expanded his use of the executive powers to establish protected lands. Mm-hmm. They say his energetic push allowed later 20th century presidents to bud their own personal agendas in office, aka corruption. Which I kind of may be true, but also I kind of call bullshit because he was doing the right things with his energy and it was not for personal gain. Yeah. Um, I thought that was just an interesting tidbit because he really did kind of overreach his executive powers, but for good things. Yeah. Um, Anyway, his presidency ended in 1909, shortly after his 50th birthday. He returned in 1912 to run against William Taft, but that quest failed and he split from the Republicans to form the Progressive Party, nicknamed the Bull Moose Party, which is badass. In a letter to political kingmaker Mark Hanna, Roosevelt had once said, I'm as strong as a bull moose and you can use me to the limit. (laughs) <laughs> Which i had to put that as so fucking cool roosevelt ran against woodrow wilson eventually losing the democratic to the democratic candidate also while campaigning roosevelt was shot in the chest mm-hmm. but quickly recovered so good for him dude he literally
0: so he got shot he was giving a speech yeah and he got he got shot he finished the speech before receiving any medical care it's
1: fucking crazy. Yeah. Jesus Christ. All right. What, what a boss. A fucking animal. Um, so Roosevelt went on to live an active and strenuous life post-presidency. He even angrily campaigned to get Woodrow Wilson to send him, to send him and his cavalry to France to fight in World War I at over <laughs> 50 years old. Which is of just course. the most fucking, te- again, he was so himself all the way through, just yeah. knowing what I know about him. Uh, He was rejected. Woodrow Wilson didn't want to do that. Uh, He was a favorite to run again for president in 1920, but unfortunately, unfortunately, never got the chance. Um, And this is really where I want to pass it off to you, Corey, because truly his greatest expeditions came when he wasn't president. And I know you obviously said you've done quite the reading into these stories that he chronicled. And uh, I want to hear about uh, more about our friend T.R.
0: Yeah. Well, what's interesting about the book that I read was a lot of stuff happened while he was president, but then I would say based off of what I understood, it was probably like half, roughly half and half, Mm -hmm. like half the time that half of these stories were written while he was president. um, And then, or they had happened, they had happened while he was president and he was finally writing about them, or they happened prior to that because he did a ton of hunting and you know adventuring prior to his presidency so um yeah I mean the thing that I'll open up with about the book is it's so interesting because you can sit down and if you really like let yourself be immersed you feel like you know there were times where I felt he was talking about being around a campfire and I felt like I was sitting there around the campfire with him because everything is so descriptive Mm -hmm. um or like riding on a horse they're riding through the prairie and they're hunting uh pronghorn antelope like you really feel like you're there you're with him you're experiencing it with him It, it was like and he was so descriptive um and if you've ever if anyone's ever read like any of his speeches or even heard like later in his life uh there was some recordings that he did for when he was in uh when he was campaigning in the bull as as the bull moose candidate mm-hmm. um like the way he spoke I totally like once I kind of put together the way he spoke to the way he wrote it was like okay this makes sense why he uses some of the wording that he does it's very it's like it's very relaxed but at the same time it's very like proper yeah um because well the roosevelts are very i mean they were america's elite mm-hmm. um he grew up like he wasn't wanting, he wasn't missing anything. Yeah, he was like sort of sickly as a child. He wasn't in the best physical health, but like they they were completely provided for. Yeah. Um, Like as we know, like Franklin Delano Roosevelt was. I think he was Teddy's.
1: It was like a nephew, second, like a. I think it was his cousin. Oh man, or no, was it no, a I, second cousin? He was later on. He might have been a nephew. I'm not sure he was, he was
0: related. They were obviously they were related, but like they come from the same, like very well off family. Yeah. They never really wanted for anything. Um, but Teddy took it to a new level where it was like the strenuous life and challenging yourself mm-hmm. and f- forcing yourself to kind of be uncomfortable. So yeah. um, I'm going to, I'm going to jump into the first thing that really um, like caught my attention. It was in the first chapter and the first chapter is all about um, hunting cougars and he won't call them mountain lions. He hates that people call cougars mountain lions because they're t- like they're t- they're different things. <laughs> uh, and he's very proper. He wants things to be called what they're supposed to be called. So a cougar is not a mountain lion and a mountain lion is not a cougar. Are they two um, different things They're Yeah. Well, basically, from my understanding, he you know, a cougar is a cougar. And a mountain lion is like a slang term for that. Uh Um, So like he would go out of his way to make sure that things were uh, properly written or pronounced or whatever. Um, And he would call people out like other (laughs) writers in like in the book. He literally calls out other people for like being lazy with it. (laughs) It's really funny. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, um,
1: Very specific. Okay. Yeah. So.
0: Um, they used a lot of dogs when they were hunting the, when they were hunting, hunting the cougars and he goes into so much detail explaining hunting cougars
1: with my dogs. Sorry.
0: Yeah. He's like, <laughs> he's explaining like with the dog's names yeah. and what they look like and what they're good at and what they're bad at. Um, like each dog is good at something and each dog is not so good at something. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the dogs die and he talks mm-hmm. about that. Um, and he talks about the ones that he really likes and the ones that he doesn't have a connection with. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of moments where he's talking about like the dogs are, you know, fighting the cougar and he comes up and while they've, they're holding the cougar down, he comes up and he finishes it with a knife. Like, and I just imagine him coming up, like plunging the knife into the the back of the cougar and like. He you know what I mean? Like he's cause he's like, I have to protect the dogs, otherwise they're gonna die.
1: Well, um, yeah. And like he just knowing he knew each dog, it was just another nod to him intellectually. Like he was so aware and knowledgeable yeah. of everything around him, including his dogs that he could write about each one of them. And he knew he knew they all had a purpose. So yeah. like
0: He didn't get too emotionally tied to them, but he also had his favorites. Um, Sure. But he would he would really like the detail that he would go into specifically talking about the dogs was really cool Um, and horses, too. So Mm -hmm. he had his favorite horses as well, like (laughs) what the horses did well and what they didn't do well and whatever. Um, So multiple occasions, you know, he he tells this story and he paints this picture of the dogs fighting the cougars and then he comes up out of nowhere and like finishes the fight with a knife or there was there was a there was another time where he the dogs were like getting fought Mm -hmm. off that the cougar was winning and he comes up and joins the fight and (laughs) the cougar like jumps at him and he's got his rifle and he just jams the rifle butt into the mouth of the cougar and like pins it on the ground um and then he kills it with a knife he's got it like pinned on the ground and he kills it what The fuck. um like and he said that the cougar had bitten off part of the rifle stock like clean through oh and he's my like God. if that like i mean that's, that's what they were up against so like that would be your arm right and that's basically what he was saying like that's that's why they're so dangerous but wow. um okay they're so each chapter Uh, I should have said this near the beginning, but each chapter was broken down by what the event was. So like the first chapter is called with the cougar hounds. So like (laughs) it's talking about the dogs and whatever, and they're hunting cougars. The second chapter is all about Colorado bear hunting. And then there's chapter about white tailed deer. There's chapter Mm -hmm. about mountain sheep. Um, There's chapter, there's chapter. I mean, like, let's see what else. Uh, hunting um he calls it wolf coursing but it's hunting coyotes Hmm. um but he calls them they're little wolves that's essentially what like that's what he calls them so um there was a scene in the bear hunting part and they had been tracking this bear and they use dogs for the bear hunting too and they had been tracking this bear up and down these ravines and um you could really see the landscape because he'd talk about the trees and he'd talk about the smells and he'd talk about the, the colors. And, uh, he was describing like he, they came over a Ridge and they finally spotted the bear and the dogs were down there and they were fighting it, but they were, they were getting their asses kicked and the bear was like smacking them and like being, it was a grizzly bear. So they're like, it's doing, it's, it's a bear. It's doing its thing. Yeah. And so doing its job, he literally, the way I've like saw this when I was reading it, I've watched him. He talks about the bears on one side of the Valley and he's on the other and the dogs are fighting and he knows he's got to get there. Otherwise the dogs are, they're all going to die. And he, he describes how he slides down the side of this like ravine into the bottom of the Valley. And as soon as he like gets to the bottom, he's like still sliding and he's like aiming his rifle. Oh God! And he he shoots the bear. Oh and he's my like, God! And he shoots the bear, and I and he talks about how he broke its back. Jesus! And, that, and it ended like the bullet broke its back, and that's it. Fuck! Um, like, dude, I mean,
1: like, just fuck. There's he would have had his own television show or something if he was alive today. Like, he, yeah, he is the man versus wild.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what I, I imagine like it's like a Marvel movie with like the Jacine music. He's sliding down this the side of this ravine on his side and he's aiming his rifle at the same time and then BAM and you know what I mean? He
1: like fuck he's crazy. Uh, he's a comic book hero. Okay. Yeah.
0: Um so that I mean stuff like I I mean it's super easy to, to see that in your head. Yeah. Um just through his writing. Yeah. So and there I mean there's so much cool stuff. Um I I book, I bookmarked a lot of different things and I ta- I like wanted to read some stuff so like yeah. people could kind of get an idea of um you know how it sounds and how it feels. So this little uh this little nugget. It's like a paragraph, yeah, a little nugget. Um they're on the prairie um in like The middle of the country. I can't remember. It's like, um, like Oklahoma kind of Kansas type prairie. Um, they had been out hunting coyotes all day long. And so coyote hunting is all on horseback. Hmm. It's a lot of fast riding. It's a, it's like, it's a lot of hard work because they're fast little, they're fast little wolves. (laughs) Yeah. They're little Um, assholes. Okay. And so they, they had come back to camp and he's getting ready. They're getting like they're getting off their horses. And he says, it was nearly noon when we struck the truck wagon. <laughs> Immediately, the handy roundup cook began to prepare a delicious dinner. And we ate as men have a right to eat who have ridden all the morning and are going to ride fresh horses all the afternoon. Uh, that's my Teddy Roosevelt <laughs> impersonation, by the way. I like it. Um, so, like, he explained, like, he, they ate as men have a right to eat who have ridden all the morning and will ride fresh horses all the afternoon.
1: Like it's just like such a fancy way to say we worked hard as shit and now we're hungry as hell and we're going to eat like it. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful way to put yeah. something really simple. Yeah.
0: Um, so I, I mean, there's so much stuff like that, that it's, it's, it was hard to pinpoint. Cause like I'd, I'd read like two pages and then I'd find a big, a big passage that was like, wow, that's so good. Like yeah. that's, um, so there was another one and he's talking about hunting in cattle country. And he was talking about they were hunting pronghorn antelope. Um, and so he talked about, he found these, like he's walking through these tall prairie grass, like grasses. And he comes upon these two like pronghorn fawns so like little babies mm. and they're just like standing there like or laying there looking at him not making any sounds and he says he got off my po- got off my pony and took it up in my arms and he uh-huh. like took it back he took it like he like hung out with it for a minute and then he put it down and like rode away and that was he just like huh. had a moment with the little baby but then he talks about how he had like Deer pets at his ranch, yeah, that were like domesticated. <laughs> they wow, were, they were domesticated deer, and they would follow him around everywhere. And Did they he would, name them? Like, no, I don't think he named them. I'm like I'm looking at it right now, yeah. and I don't see I don't see any names. But like he had, they would like they would rub their heads against his legs and try to push him around, but not roughly,
1: <laughs> um, like stuff like that. So. That's cool because, I mean, just hearing about this initially, somebody listening could be like, "Oh, this guy was just a ruthless hunter." Fuck this guy, if you're yeah. not, if you're not into hunting. But really, he he was a dude that had such respect for nature, and hunting, and death. Yes, that yeah. It, it wasn't. It was a sport, but it was also a huge challenge to him. And he, yeah, the, the point is, he had a lot of respect for nature and, and animals.
0: So. I'm going to read a passage and that was a good segue. Um, I'm going to read a passage. It's still, he's still hunting pronghorn bucks. Mm -hmm. Um, He's at his ranch, which is called, I believe it's called Little Missouri. He -hmm. had multiple ranches. One of them was called Little Missouri. Okay. Um, And he had guests that were coming in. So before the guests got there, he wanted to go out and he wanted to like, take some time to himself. So he grabbed his rifle. He grabbed some like hardtack biscuits some water. <laughs> and he just like went off into the the wilderness.
1: <laughs> that's so, so
0: fucking cool. <laughs> and he wasn't he wasn't like really expecting to you know hunt anything. He just wanted yeah. to go out and like have some time to himself. So sure. fast forward, he sees a pronghorn that's worth taking. He shot it. Um he tracks it, he gets it. Um so this to me was a good example of his humility. He's mm-hmm. wanting to be this badass, like, you know, manly man. Mm-hmm. And there's also humility to it. So he says, <clears throat> after dressing it, I showed it the body entire, thinking that I should like to impress the newcomers by the sight of a so tangible a proof of my hunting prowess as a whole prong buck hanging up in the cottonwoods by my house. As it was a well-grown buck, (laughs) the walk home under the hot sun was one of genuine toil. So, like, (laughs) I imagine him, he's got a, like, he kills this pronghorn. Uh He throws it over his shoulder, like, and he's like, I'm going to walk home with this pronghorn over my shoulder and everyone's going to see it. And they're going to think I'm fucking awesome. (laughs) And you know what, though? He said it was genuine toil. Like, He wrecked it like that was a terrible idea, but it was totally worth it because everyone thinks I'm some sort of like superhuman. (laughs) Yeah. God,
1: that's fucking
0: awesome. Can you imagine that? Like, that's that's something like he would do. He's like, I'm going to throw this over my shoulder and walk towards home like
1: just to impress people. Yeah, just for the heck of it. I got my biscuits. They're in my belly now. Yeah. And now I got this deer on my back. Let's go. Yeah. Um, fuck or buck, man. Fuck,
0: what? A, God damn. Okay,
1: <laughs> <laughs> like that's if we say, like, oh, that is fucking so badass. Uh, but that's also funny because we're so far removed from that these days. Most people are of yeah. like just going in the woods with just a gun and uh, some biscuits. Yeah, we're like if people go in the woods now, we're like souped up with all of our comforts of home in a sense. Yep. Yep. Anyway, he talks
0: at length. He talks at length about hunters or outdoorsmen like, yeah, if you can go out and enjoy some comforts of home while also being in the outdoors like that's great. Yeah. But any true outdoorsman, any true lover of nature should be able to go with the bare essentials and Mm -hmm. rough it. He says, you know, you should be able to rough it. You should be able to go out with next to nothing and
1: really just like be in nature. And that's yeah. part of the beauty of it. So, yeah. and, and recognize what you can eat. What you can eat. Different types of trees. Um, mm-hmm. I recently heard this thing. Just a little side note for like a minute. That uh, it was a podcast I listened to. And he said people going out in the wilderness today. Do they look more like an indigenous person? Like someone who can live off the land? Or do they look more like an astronaut? on a different planet. And he's like, I think that we look more like astronauts. Like we need these different comforts and things we can't survive. And it's troubling to think that we have to go out into nature, like earth, which is our home, but we're treating it like it's another planet. Like we don't know how to survive.
0: Mm -hmm. Yep. So part of, I had kind of said this earlier, but part of of the fascination with his writing was how descriptive he was. Mm -hmm. So this next passage that I'm going to read is a description of a sunset. set. Mm. Um, so it's the sunset. He's out on the prairie still. Um, a lot of this. So he loves the prairie. He I mean, he loves the outdoors, but I found I mean, he's got a really big soft spot for like the flat, like rolling hills of middle America prairie land. Yeah. Um, so this is how he described a sunset. He says it was beautiful to see the red dawn quicken from the first glimmering gray in the east. And then to watch the crimson bars glint on the tops of the frantically shaped barren hills when the, sun, when the sun flamed, burning and splendid, above the horizon. In the early morning, the level beams threw into sharp relief the strangely carved and channeled cliff walls of the buttes. There was rarely a cloud in the dim, serene blue of the sky. Like, hmm. I mean, that's descriptive writing, right? Like, and that's, that's common. That happens regularly. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, you're there, you're immediately yeah. transported to You're watch. You're like, um, I guess it's a sunrise. Cause he says in the East. So yeah. like, you're immediately transported to like, and you're watching this beautiful sunrise with Teddy Roosevelt because yeah. that's how he writes it. You know what I mean?
1: It's cool. Cause he was, he was an educated person. But he wasn't like an award winning storyteller, but he was a writer and he got just really good at using language, yeah, which I think is attractive to us now too because we're so far removed from using and learning different words and expressive language. We use a lot of like you know, it's
0: lol and like, um, it's lit, fam, you know what I mean? Like,
1: (laughs) okay, like, can you imagine?
0: Can you imagine Teddy Roosevelt hearing that? He would punch someone
1: in the face. Like, what is this language? Yeah. What What is this language? Right. Like, it's it's it's, just... It's that, but it's also... Like, we use the word, like, you know, like, like this, like this, like that. Or, like, like what I just did just now. Like, I I don't even know how to explain it. It's, it's, the words he uses are just so descriptive that... I think our, our modern languages has lost that. So anyways,
0: we we had just kind of touched on how, uh, like going out into nature, we, we, these days choose to bring a lot of comforts, which Mm -hmm. is, which is great. Um, I, a passage that I highlighted talks a lot about that. It's a, it's a little bit shorter one, but, um, it's really interesting. So he says, While it is eminently uh, yeah. desirable that a hunter should be able to rough it and should in, be entirely willing to put up with the bare minimum of necessities and to undergo great fatigue and hardship it is yet not all necessary that he should refrain from comfort of a wholesome sort when it is attainable so like uh. Uh, he he says yeah like rough it like be yeah. able to do that because you need to you need to be able to do that but when it's possible like Enjoy some comforts because yeah, why not? Why shouldn't yeah, yeah.
1: you? Why shouldn't you? If you're able to, you're a human. If you can, yeah, yeah fucking do it. That's so great. like
0: He goes on. I'll just kind of paraphrase, but he goes on to talk like he, they would, he carries a tent when he can. He has a wagon when he can.
1: Uh-huh. He has a
0: change of clothes for a few days. If he can, or a couple books to read
1: such a comfort. Um,
0: and then he says, nothing adds more to the enjoyment of a hunting trip then plenty of food (laughs)
1: oh hell yeah
0: like you know that's right he
1: he had a weight problem for like almost all of his adult life like he loved to eat food he ate like he was a teenager yeah yeah good for him
0: yeah and he i mean yeah like enjoy that (laughs) yeah fuck that's Um... great It's interesting. Probably the longest chapter in the book is all about hunting on the prairies. So the chapter is called Hunting in the Cattle Country. Mm. Um, And it's like he has so many passages of descriptions of the landscape where like you think of like mountains and you think of um, like rivers and whatever. as that being more beautiful? But to him, the prairies were way more special. Okay. Um, so that I thought that was really interesting too. Yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah, I don't know. I as I kept reading, there's a ch- passage in the chapter about um, mountain sheep. Huh. Um, he talks about like what it means to be a true sportsman and not a game butcher. Here we um, go. So. I let me see. I have. Yeah. OK, so, yeah. What it means to be a true sportsman and not a game butcher. Here's the passage. In addition to being a true sportsman and not a game butcher. Fucking
1: love it. OK. Oh, in, sorry, addition
0: Go ahead. <laughs> in addition to being a humane man, as well as a keen eyed, strong limbed and stout hearted. The big game hunter should be a field naturalist. If possible, he should be an adept with the camera. And hunting with the camera will tax his skill far more than hunting with the rifle. While the results in the long run give much greater satisfaction. Wherever possible, he should keep a notebook. And should carefully study the record and record the habits of the wild creatures. Especially in some remote regions into which <laughs> trained scientific observers but rarely have access. Oh. So like... Like he's... I see... Fuck. Go yeah, on. go ahead. No, no, all right, so...
1: It was just like he took notes on everything. And that's yes. how he got so good at writing and using yeah. different language and so good at everything he did. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah.
0: So I love that because he's like, yeah, you you should enjoy going out without a, without a gun, without the intent of killing something
1: mm-hmm. with
0: a camera or with a notebook. And because he – I mean he took – like super detailed notes he learned specific like one of his things was he wanted to learn all of the latin names for animals Hmm. so like he would memorize these latin names and he would like have the all the proper names written down but then he would also take a lot of notes there's a lot of parts of these chapters so like there's the hunting pieces but then it's like he'll talk about the birds that he sees Mm -hmm. while he's out or he'll talk about the plants Hmm. and like take detailed notes about it um and he'll send these notes and he'll send pictures and he'll send samples to like the scientists who don't get out which is basically what are you saying is like the (laughs) the trained the trained scientific observers but rarely have access so like if you're out doing the manly stuff and you're doing like you're out in the really remote regions take notes on it because the nerds aren't getting out there (laughs) yeah yeah
1: you are you are the first arrivers
0: Right. So he's like highlighting the importance of, you know, doing both.
1: So, yeah, um, I think that's so it seems like he like it's easy to think with all this hunting going on the I don't know if you think about someone maybe in today's world, you could hire a guide and just be like to go big game hunting. You could hire a guide and they would take you to an animal and you could just shoot it. It seems like Teddy was everything. He was his own guide. He did so much surveying, if not more surveying than actually going out well, to hunt. To be fair, he he hired guides pretty much
0: everywhere he went. Okay, um, he knew how to hunt the animals, but he like he specifically says too, like to to make the most of your time in the wilderness, especially if you're a city folk. He specifies like if you are a big city person. Mm-hmm. hire a guide because otherwise you're just going to go out and random, like aimlessly wander around and not have a clue what you're doing. So he was actually a big advocate of like hiring someone from the region who knew what they were doing and who were trained to do it. Oh, great. Um, he did it alone when he could, but he knew, he knew like if he went out to a place that he's not familiar, he was going to get skunked and mm-hmm. he was going to have no fun. Yeah. So a he was time. an, He was an advocate of, you know, like, yeah, get a guide. If you need one, if you don't
1: need one, don't. (laughs) I think that actually makes more sense to me now because he was such from what I learned before thinking back now, he was such a person of like, everybody should be included in this. It's not like, I think I'm better than other people because I'm outdoors hunting and things. I'm trying to do this stuff to like inspire other people or just get other people aware of what to do out here. Yep.
0: Okay. Um, so the last passage that I have marked, uh, this this chapter is all about white-tailed deer. Mm. Um, th- he talks in this part about the t- hit for him what the two biggest elements of attraction to like the chase of an animal. What he enjoys about it, why he loves it so much. Um, so he says. Personally, I feel that the chase of any animal has it in two chief elements of attraction. The first is the chance given to the, be in the wilderness, to see the sights and hear the sounds of wild nature. The second is the demand made, made by the particular kind of chase upon the qualities of manliness and hardihood. As regards to the first, some kinds of game, of course, lead the hunter in particularly remote and wild localities. And the farther one gets into wilderness, the greater the attraction of its lonely freedom. Mm. Yet to camp out at all implies some measure of this delight. The keen fresh air, the breath of the pine forests, the glassy stillness of the lake at sunset, the glory of sunrise among the mountains, the shimmer of endless prairies, the ceaseless rustle of the cottonwood leaves where the wagon is drawn up on the low bluff of a shrunken river. All these apply intensely to any man, no matter what the game may be. But there is a wide variation and indeed contrast in the qualities called for in the chase itself according as one quarry or another is sought.
1: That was a fucking beautiful fuck paragraph. I don't know what he said after a while, but I loved hearing it because the words, <laughs> the words sounded great. <laughs> uh, um, so what
0: did he say? What does he so mean like, by that? Okay. So he's he's talking about, at first he's talking about the the two elements of his, the, the attraction to yeah, the chase to, of an animal. Okay. So the first for him is like, he's just happy to be out in the wilderness.
1: Uh, just happy to be a part of it.
0: Yeah. The second is the demand made by the particular kind of chase so the like challenge some like when he hunts a bear he's and he talks about this in the book He, when he hunts a bear it requires a different challenge and a different level of like hardihood and manliness than it does hunting a like a, a deer mm. um mm-hmm. the part where it gets where he gets really into it so he talks he's in regards to the first part which is being in the wilderness Um, he talks about like some types of game lead him into more remote and wild places. And so the further you get into the wilderness, the greater the attraction to it is because the further you get Hmm. out, the better it is. Hmm. Um, like he camping out is a delight. Being able to camp under the sky and Hmm. see the stars is a delight for him. Mm -hmm. smelling smelling the fresh air the breath of the pines the glassy stillness of the lake at sunset so like you can just see a lake with a sunset like reflecting off of it at least i i mean i can yeah um the glory of the sunrise among the mountains like you know what i mean like it's it's all there it's It's all it's very
1: vivid writing descriptive it brings you there
0: yeah like when they're camped the ceaseless rustle of the cottonwood leaves where the wagon is drawn up on the low bluff of a shrunken river. So like they're camped out and you know what you hear? You hear the rustle of the trees blowing in the wind while you're probably like going to bed or you're sitting around the campfire or something. Mm-hmm. Um, making some eggs. Making some eggs or like, I mean, yeah, whatever,
1: <laughs> whatever. I think this is something like to really experience, like understand you have to go experience it yes. and appreciate, you know, Absolutely. like if you've never done it, you should go do it.
0: Um, So a lot of his talk in the last, because that chapter is the third to last chapter. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's one more chapter, which is about hunting elk. And then there's a, there's a a chapter about other books written by nature lovers and his like,
1: this is what you should read. (laughs) and This is what you shouldn't. This is what you shouldn't because these guys suck. (laughs) Um, (laughs) They don't, they call mountains cougars mountain lions they call cougars mountain lions right or they call them elk instead of wapiti yes like blasphemous um, blasphemous. right
0: so um the last chapter is all about um like national parks (laughs) um so well actually i take that back the last chapter if i'm being specific is about his home so It's more about like birds and plants and whatever that are near his home where he lives. But um, the chapter about wilderness reserves, um, you know, he talks about the need for us as citizens to protect the nature and the wilderness and the whatever because of why it's important. And he talks about laws that are good but don't do anything if we, as people don't enforce them. Hmm. Um, Yeah. So like a state, he, he specifically at this point, he references like Colorado. He says, Colorado has great like naturalist laws, but the public has little interest in enforcing them. Hmm. Um, So it's, it was, you know, and he talks about times he visited Yellowstone and um, he hopes that there's going to be a national park at the grand Canyon and this, and that, I mean, like, um just the conservation aspect of it is really cool near the end because the whole ch- the whole rest of the book is like Teddy Roosevelt being a badass like hunting things yeah. um and he also it's cool because he demonizes like he calls them skin hunters so like pelt hunters people who don't take anything from the animal all they do is take the skin sell the skin mm. Um, so not using the animal for everything that it provides, which, you know, is meat and warmth and this and that. So, um, I mean, as a whole, reading this book was a wonderful experience. I really, really enjoyed it. It made me feel because I really have been identifying, you know, this is going back to what, why we do the weekly warrior podcast. We're talking about, you know, mindset and fitness and healthy eating and whatever. Teddy Roosevelt in 1904 is talking about all of these things, um, connecting to something. So like connection, he's connecting to nature. He's connecting to people around him on these hunting adventures. Mm -hmm. Um, And it all ties into that, which is why we, I mean, I know you have, and I know I have, we've been on a big Teddy Roosevelt kick for the last couple months because he was all about this stuff—the mm-hmm. stuff that we strive for every day. Teddy Roosevelt was living, breathing. He was a huge advocate of it. Mm-hmm. So um, it's really been—it's really been fun to kind of get his own personal viewpoint on it with this book. Um, the other book that I have of his was written in 1916, so that's three years before his death. Um, and I have a feeling that it's going to be a much different take because it's 12 years after this one was written um he's older he's maybe he's wiser
1: um so i'm he's he's still just as fucking fit and crazy though he was still oh yeah like going on long ass walks long ass runs like challenging his body so it's not like he died of a of a sickness or anything like he slowed down so much like he went hard Mm -hmm. up until his last day
0: yep so I uh, this this experience was really fun um and it was kind of on a whim like I went to this bookstore just f- I like found these books and I was like all right this is going to be a really fun adventure um and it has been and it was so mm-hmm. I I I don't have too much else to say besides if anyone has a chance to connect to something like this. I mean, in whoever, I mean, whatever historical figure you want to connect to do it because it was, it's really, it's really enjoyable. It was really fun. Yeah. I think
1: like what we have said before, Teddy Roosevelt was such a, a, a relatable figure now because our times are fairly similar and mm-hmm. that we are becoming more like herded cattle inside of our, our homes and we're not living a very strenuous life at all and his whole thing was the strenuous life. Like you must be challenged. Yeah. That's the biggest takeaway I got from him was that you must be challenged in order to experience growth. And if you are being challenged, it's not a negative thing. Like you're going to become better out of it. So yeah. that, that was the most, the, the biggest message that resonated with me. And he saw it back then. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's, it's been
0: 120 years and he was preaching this stuff. Then he, a lot of his, speeches to the public were about the strenuous life and about mm-hmm. getting out and challenging yourself and yeah. eating healthy and getting strong and getting fit because it's so important for your mental well-being. for, you know, to be able to go, he talks about like got people sitting at desks too much
1: and mm-hmm. getting
0: out and like doing things that are hard for the sake of doing them because they're hard. Mm-hmm. Um, not because you want to be miserable and whatever, but because you need You need that challenge to build grit and to, to be a lot, you're alive,
1: experience life because you're alive. Yep. You need contrast. So we have all these luxuries, but how can you, the luxuries will eventually become numb and you'll stop enjoying them unless you have that contrast of of a little bit of suffering, self-induced or, you know, just unfortunate consequences or something. So something I have
0: taken into my own personal life recently with the strenuous life idea is When we have meetings that are half a mile, because I work on a large outdoor campus. So when we have meetings that are like a mile or half a mile away, Mm -hmm. um, I did it today. Actually, I walked there and it's a pretty it's like an up and down some in the woods kind of hike to where it is. And I've got my hat and my gloves because it's like 10 degrees out and my big coat and I get back to the office and people are like, you know, you could have gotten a ride like and I like and I'm just like, yeah, I know. I wanted to walk and they're like, you're insane. I was like, okay, maybe <laughs> you should try it sometime. <laughs> so people oh, don't man. really understand it because it's like, yeah, that seems miserable, but I
1: love it. It feels great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause that's, you're a little bit aware of the struggle of that's might be necessary to, you know, get that growth. And it, could you imagine having such a public figure be like that today though? Like preaching, I feel like we're, I'm not doing, I don't want to make this political, but I feel like we're so far, so far away from that, that we, we have so many like Instagram people that, (laughs) that put that stuff out and there's so many like little small pseudoscience things going on Mm -hmm. and so many like figures that we can look up there, but we don't have like a big public figure leadership role that preaches any of this. No. That yeah. is actually that actually goes out and lives it, not just mm-hmm. talks about it. We have plenty of you know people that go out and talk about climate change and talk about conservation go be healthy, yeah, go be healthy, conservation of nature well, chance I'm like okay you, we can all say we want climate change and and we care about nature, like what nature do you care about mm-hmm. try try to name me a spot in nature that you care about. I think a lot of us can't. And I think that's the disconnect. Why nothing is changing, why people are becoming more sedentary and indoors. It's because we actually don't go out in nature and make a connection.
0: Yeah. Even in the even in the dead of winter, go outside.
1: Yeah. Get some snowshoes. Go for right. a, Take a walk to your meeting.
0: Because it might not be easy, but you're alive. You're you're live you're alive, you need to live your life.
1: Mm-hmm. I think, so I think that's our challenge for the week. And whoever listens to this, go outside. Right Live now. Live your life. Live your life. All right. This was fucking awesome. I love this episode. Yeah. It was great. So we'll be back next week.
0: Aye, aye, Captain. Aye, aye. Peace. Well, guys, we made it to the end of another episode of the Weekly Warrior Podcast. We really appreciate you being here today. And if you enjoy listening to our podcast as much as we enjoy making it, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review and a rating, that would be awesome. It really helps us get out to more people, the more ratings and reviews that we get. And we love hearing from you guys. We're on Instagram at the Weekly Warrior Podcast. And we're on Facebook at the Weekly Warrior Podcast. What do you know? So we really appreciate you being here. And we'll see you next week when we discover the warrior within.